This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we are in a, a study of the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was a letter written by Paul to a church in the city of Corinth. Kind of cool metropolis, little Mediterranean city, very affluent, very culturally savvy. And like any church of believers, they were unique. They had all kinds of gifts, all kinds of abilities. They also were a mess, which is why we call the series A Beautiful Mess. Like most churches we know, like us too, probably. And so we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians. We have made our way to chapter 12. And, and so now for last week and the next couple of weeks, we're talking about this subject of spiritual gifts. Remember that Paul, as he's writing them, he's, he's trying to answer some of the questions that they wrote to him about. And also, he's trying to address some of the things that he's heard reported about the church. So now he's, he's addressing this issue of spiritual gifts. And the very first thing he says at the beginning of this discussion is, he says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. This was a church that, in the beginning of his letter, he admitted that they had, almost, they had every kind of gift. They had every kind of ability. They were talented. And so we, we noticed at the very beginning of this study that even though they had lots of gifts, it was apparently possible for them to be uninformed. There was something that they, he needed them to know about spiritual gifts, even though they had a bunch of them. So it kind of makes us wonder, is there something that we should know as followers of Christ about spiritual gifts? What is it that we could be uninformed about? And that's where our study begins. Now, we have talked a little bit about the Spirit. You see, we have this tendency to uh, kind of get things out of whack when we come talking about spiritual gifts. If you've been around the church at all, you've got baggage. We talked about that. You either come from one extreme or another. And, and, and we've seen Paul begin to address both extremes, and he's going to further along in our study. Today, what I, should, what I want to do is do what I thought I was going to do last week before I got all mushy on you. And we started talking about the fact that why do we act like the Spirit is dead? Why do we act like he's not still here, still speaking, still communicating, still empowering? In fact, maybe that's part of, the, part of the problem that we experience as believers. Well, anyway, what I'm supposed to do and what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about specifically this, those spiritual gifts. We're going to list them. We're going to be going so fast that you're going to hate me. And so um, buckle up. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, uh, there's probably a blue hardcover Bible near you, or you can follow along. We're going to project some of them as we go. Now, what we said before is that all of the passages in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts can really be summed up. They're easy to re remember. Twelves and fours. Twelves and fours. 1 Corinthians 12 actually has two lists. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. There you have it. You can go home and you can amaze your friends and neighbors with that knowledge. Today what we're going to do is we're going to start reading through this passage in 1 Corinthians and we're going to just pause enough to discuss what some of these, what some of these uh, gifts, these names, what, what might they mean? But before, and before we're done, we're going to try to figure out how we might apply it. First of all, you can see from these lists that none of them are exactly the same. 
We talked about that. Why in the world would God not give the same list in all five places? Either he doesn't know what the gifts are himself, or what we suspect is that he never intended to communicate that there is a single complete list. That these lists are samples, examples of the range of gifts. And the truth of the matter is that there are all kinds of uh, versions of these at work in, among God's people all the time. So we're going to start working, uh, working our way through the passage. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. These gifts are given to bless other people. That's just so important to remember. Because often when we try to figure out what our spiritual gifts are, we're trying to find fulfillment for ourselves. Or we maybe we're going to take a little spiritual gifts test and try to figure out what our gifts are. The best way to use your gift is to bless someone else. The best way to discover your gift is to ask someone else. They're going to know before you know. Why? Because the gift was intended to bless them. They know when they're blessed. We're going to talk about that more as we move on. So 1 Corinthians verse 8, 12, 8, he starts. Uh, I've, the, the gifts are in red. Don't get overwhelmed. A lot, lot of text up there. We're going to take it one at a time. Paul says this. To one, one person, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. Um, a lot of these gifts, uh, I'm not going to try to pretend like there's a very clear-cut definition. I'm going to try to describe them a little bit. But as I do that, this is extrapolated. Like The Bible doesn't say the gift of wisdom is because I think it looks different when different people exercise it. But we understand what wisdom means. It means being able to apply truth to specific situations. It's one thing to understand science, and it's another thing to MacGyver your way out of something, right? When you can make science work for you. The gift of wisdom makes truth work for you. You can, not only do you know something to be true, you can figure out how to apply it to someone or a situation so that they are helped. They distill insight and discernment into excellent advice. Sorry, I meant to stay, stay put. There we go. He goes on. He says, uh, To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. The gift of knowledge. Uh, again, some people see this as a very supernatural gift, but in its most plain form, the gift of knowledge has something to do with being able to take in truth and understand it. To kind of uh, put it together so that there's understanding and a, and a deeper penetration, uh, penetration, an understanding. Uh, the idea here is that there's a deeper knowledge. Some people, have you known those people? Uh, I, went to, I went to seminary, cemetery, whatever you want to call it. And, 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 uh, and one of the things I still miss about that setting was being surrounded by some men and women who had this gift. Their depth of perception, their understanding, their ability to see things that, you know, knuckleheaded me. It took the gift of knowledge. He says, and to another, faith by the same spirit. The ability to have vision for what God wants. Now, we all have a kind of an understanding of what faith means. Uh, faith is believing things we can't see. That's true. And every believer is to have faith. But those that have the gift of faith seem to have an amazingly strong ability 
to have confidence in what God has said. It's as though God says it, they see it. It's a reality. Now, people can pretend to have that gift. Oh, yeah, right, that's fine. We're talking about people, they can't help it, right? The gift of faith means they see what can be accomplished. The, the circumstances, the obstacles, it's almost in, they're invisible to them. They see it happening. It's a done deal. If you've ever been around somebody with the gift of faith, you walk away encouraged. You walk away emboldened. Some of you may have the gift of faith. Why are we talking? Let's do this. And the gift of faith reacts that way. Healings, he says. The gift of healings. It's interesting. Um, the, the term here is kind of like, it's plural. Like, like often, many, all kinds of ways to heal. This is a, a gift that a person is an instrument of God for bringing uh, healing, wholeness to someone else. It might be a physical issue. It might be an emotional, spiritual issue. They bring health to others. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about how these gifts have looked in the past and how they might look now. The bottom line is, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you've got to believe in healing. How it gets accomplished, we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, some of us, uh, well, we prayed for Steve. Steve was sick. Steve was sick, sick for a long time. And in, in obedience to the scriptures, Steve said, hey, Mike, you and the elders, come, pray over me. And we did. We went and anointed him with oil, and we prayed. And he lived. <laughs> we all, if you know Jesus, you believe in healing. The question is, do some have this ability to bring that to bear? And what I will say is, if you do, please let me know who you are. Can God do that? Of course he can, and he does. Now, now some of you are thinking, well, there's a problem. What if, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to talk about that later. The bottom line is, this is, we're just reading what Paul wrote. Gifts of healings, they exist. Deal with it. And you know what? I'm thinking if you are sick and somebody has this gift and they come to see you, you won't argue with them. You'll say, pray for me. You bet. Miraculous powers. I keep doing that. I forget what I'm going to say. But miraculous powers. The idea here is, is that there, there are powers or examples of power, accomplishing acts that manifest God's supernatural power. They bear witness to God's presence. They happened. They happen. Sometimes it's connected to missionary work. How many times, just like in the book of Acts, when the gospel's penetrating a culture, it can be accompanied by things that we can't explain otherwise. Now, I know, we've all had the experience of, you know, a dog runs out in front of the car, and the car stops, and it would have hit you, and you think, oh, God, God did a miracle, and uh, you bet. But I can still, we can still point to the dog in that setting. Miraculous powers are pretty hard to explain. In fact, they're sometimes pretty hard to believe unless you were there. The question is, if God does something like that, are you going to argue with him? Paul says they exist. The next one he mentions is prophecy. We're going to hear about prophecy in every list that we look at. 
Prophecy basically is the ability to communicate, to receive and communicate a proclamation or a message from God. Now often in, in the scriptures there were prophets who filled this office of prophet and they foretold the future. Other times prophets, rather than foretelling the future, they were telling forth the truth. So there are different flavors of this gift. It's interesting to note that in the Old Testament, when a prophet said they were a prophet and they said what was going to happen in the future, if they were wrong, they were to be put to death. Boy, that would give you pause, wouldn't it? Yeah. I think the Lord's telling me, but actually, never mind. <laughs> yeah, right? So the prophets spoke, knew that, they knew that there was a lot at risk, but it was because, wait, if, if, this, if we're telling the future so that people know that God is speaking, let's get it right. In other expressions of prophecy, it's proclaiming God's message of truth. I, I hope to some extent what I do is prophecy. I hope I'm communicating what God wants said. But it's very often to a very specific group of people. Not, not all people everywhere. It's not like you're speaking God's word. The, that's been given. But prophecy is still speaking God's written word, teaching he goes on, he says, the gift of distinguishing of spirits, the ability to clearly discern the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. First John, the Apostle John talks about this in 1 John 4 a little bit. There are people who can look and sense when something is off. Are you married to one of them? <laughs> I am. And some of these gifts are hard to explain at first. But some of you have the ability to go, you know, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't have an axe to grind. But something is not right about this. And God uses you to protect people from error, to protect people from falsehood. This gift is the ability to divine or to, to, to determine what is true and demonic. He goes on, he goes, the gift of tongues the ability to receive and impart a special message in a language that the recipient has never learned. It, it, this is the one. If you have an issue with spiritual gifts, this is the first one to get you in trouble, right? Yeah, in fact, back when I was a young believer, they called, the, they called it the tongues movement. Like, oh, it was this terrible thing. And I think it's true that this, this church in Corinth had a, kind of a, mis, a skewed view of tongues as well. Part of it was because they were so busy trying to impress each other and Paul seems to, to say, hang on, there are things that are more important than whether you can speak these languages. And, and he seems to try to put it in its proper place. We know in Acts 2 that when the Spirit descended, those that were there, those believers, were given the ability to speak languages that they had never learned. And those that were around heard the gospel in the message, in, in the language that they grew up with. We, we understand that that was the gift of tongues. And I'm not sure that that can't still happen in, in those missionary situations. I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not sure that can't still happen. But it's pretty apparent from the book of 1 Corinthians that the gift of tongues was being exercised in this church in a different way. And we're going to talk about that as we get closer. But we all need to deal with the fact that God communicated to his people and he gave them, one of the gifts he gave was the ability to speak a language that this person had never learned. 
It's what you prayed for in high school French class. <laughs> Not really, because this isn't given to pass a test. This is given either to reach the unbeliever or to encourage the believer. And when we get to chapter 14, Paul's going to talk a little bit about that and put these things in perspective. I'm trying like crazy not to put them into perspective, but instead just to unpack it as we go. He says the next gift listed there is the interpretation of tongues. You see, if someone in a church setting is going to speak a language that they've never learned and we don't understand, somebody else has got to be able to interpret. Somebody else has to have this gift to tell us what's being said. Otherwise, it's of no help to us. I think that was part of the problem in Corinth was that they were trying to impress each other with this ability, but they didn't think it was important to interpret the gift so that the people got a message that was edifying to them. Because after all, gifts are not about you, bucko. They are about the others that you're serving. Now we'll move on to the second half of 1 Corinthians 12 where, where we find a second list. Now, this list, again, it, it kind of we're chaining together and we're, some of them are repeats so we won't repeat them. We're going to highlight the ones that weren't found in that first list. But I want to point out that Paul says something different here in verse 28. He says, And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles and prophets. And, and, and he gives these little, this little numerating thing. I do not think what he means is the most important gift, apostles. The second most important gift, prophets. I don't think that's what he's saying. In fact, the whole message of spiritual gifts is there isn't one gift more important than another. So it seems to me that what he's really referring to is sort of a, a chronology, that there's kind of, a, there's kind of a, a chronology to how God gave these gifts in their purposes. And it makes sense. When the church began, it, it, he sent apostles, people who have this gift, and, and the gift of apostleship is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives people to enable them to plant new ministries. They are bold. They are daring. They can go where no man has gone before. That's a great movie, by the way. Anyway, uh, and they go and they're used of God to start new things. Now, the apostles, those that, were, that served that role in the early church, the scriptures tell us that those apostles, and it wasn't just limited to the 12 or the 11, there were a few others that were included in that group, but they all saw Jesus, and there's some, so there's some teaching about who they were. When they died, there weren't any more apostles like that. But if there's one thing we're going to learn is that even when God stops using one version of a gift, that doesn't mean the gift is done. And I believe completely that the gift of apostleship still exists today, but it's found in people who are that bold, who go to a country where the gospel's never penetrated, and they show up and they, and they start trying to learn the language and build a church and lead people to Christ, or they're going to start a new ministry to feed the homeless down in the middle of Camden where nobody's ministering, or whatever it is. It's this, this entrepreneurial kind of spirit. I believe that's part of what the gift of apostleship is. He says, second, prophets. We've talked a little bit about the gift of prophecy, and we're going to talk about it a lot more. Third, teachers. You've probably had a teacher that made you hate learning. Mine was Miss Swallows. I can say this. I know this is going on the Internet, but she's, she's dead now, so she can't be upset. Mrs. Swallows. She hated me. And the feeling was mutual. <laughs> I'm not going to bore you with all the stories. But it, she did actually, 
She was why I climbed out the second story fifth grade window and left school. It's also why she retired early, but that's another. <laughs> and awkward, you want to talk about awkward? In high school, I was with a traveling singing group and we went to sing at, a, at an old folks home. There she was, Mrs. Swallows. She goes, Michael. Oh my gosh, I was just so, I said, I am so sorry. She goes, hmm, save it. That's all she said to me. <laughs> I thought, you know what? Nothing's changed. <laughs> Teachers. But perhaps you've also had a teacher that turned your world upside down. The gift of teaching is this ability to communicate God's word, to take things that are, that are kind of disconnected, to put them together so that others can learn them. The capacity to accurately interpret the scriptures, to engage in the research that's necessary, to organize the results in such a way so that you and I can get it. Have you ever you know, cracked your Bible open to some place and started reading, trying to learn, and you're thinking, I don't get it because it says here and there, and you're struggling with it. Isn't it great when somebody can say, let me put this together for you. All the spiritual gifts are in 12s and 4s. And you could write, and, and you say, this helps. That's what the gift of teaching does. Third, teachers. Then miracles. We've talked about that. The ability to do things that we can't explain. And then the gifts of healing. And then of helping. Now that's one that we haven't talked about yet. The gift of helping. It seems as though, first of all, this, the word for helping here in the New Testament, it's the only place that word shows up in the whole New Testament. It's amalagao. It's the only use of the word. So it's kind of hard to turn to other verses and say what it means. It seems as though, because there's also later a gift of service. So there's a gift of health, helps, gift of service. Some people see them as the same. I think I see in the gift of helps something that's a little bit more personal and the gift of service, something that's a little bit more corporate. I, I believe the gift of helps is when we say, hey, by the way, the brothers are moving. And you say, I can be there. That was some of you, by the way. Thanks. It's the ability to, when you hear a need, you just, you give of your time and energy. What can I do? How can I help? You love to get your hands dirty, and you love to see somebody go, thanks. The gift of helps. If you've ever been helped, you love these people. He goes on. The gift of guidance. Now, the, new, the NIV uses the word guidance. Virtually every other translation says administration. And the idea here, by the way, this is another amalagao. It's the only time this word shows up in the whole New Testament. In, in other Greek, secular Greek, the term here is used of a helmsman, like steering a ship, right? The guy who's actually steering. So we can kind of think of steering, guidance or administration. This is the gift of uh, the ability to steer a church or an organization toward the fulfillment of its goals by managing its affairs and implementing different plans. This is the person who can get things done. By the way, uh, you can have the gift of leadership and not have the gift of administration. <laughs> it can happen. Which is why you can lead and you're really thankful for people who get things done and have plans. Thanks, yeah, yeah, thanks, George. <laughs> you're all thinking the same thing, right? Yeah, and others. It's not just him. But, and, and this is a good example, and I don't want to just talk about George because there's a bunch of folks who are here, but one thing we're going to learn today, when you do see it actually happen, we all react the same way. Oh, that's sweet. 
It's not just what they do. It's the fact that they do it right alongside others who can't do that, and together they all do it, and it gets done. In fact, I don't want to move off this point because really that's where we're going to end today is that aha moment. All these gifts are given for that aha moment, not for any single one of these. I'm going to be honest. Any one of these, even the really flashy ones or the apostles, they kind of feel shallow. It's when they work together that we go, that is so cool. The gift of guidance. And, he says, different kinds of tongues. There again. And I want you to notice, he doesn't just say the gift of tongues. Different kinds of tongues. If there's one thing we learn about God, is that he loves diversity. We've said it before. Like, he made beetles. Okay, first of all, none of us can quite figure out why he made beetles. But I want you to notice that he didn't make one type of beetle. And maybe, well, okay, let's do a small, medium, and a large. Okay? Standard. That's how we would do it. In Americans, we would like small, medium, large, make a bunch of those. God made like 20,000 different species of beetles. Why? And God says, why not? He loves diversity. Whatever you think about any one of these gifts, if there's one thing we got to learn today, God expects it to be done differently than you think. And every one of us will exercise whatever gifts he's given us in a way that we don't expect. Nobody's going to get it the way you think. And God says, isn't that cool? That's the way I like it. Different kinds of tongues. Now on to Romans 12. A lot of these now are going to be repeats and we can move on. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, and there's one that we haven't talked about, but I told you it's related to helps. But this gift of serving, it it seems to have something to do with uh, coming alongside to get things done. The actual, the core word for serving is the same root that we use for deacons or for ministry, this servanthood, service, getting the work done. We all know that too many chiefs and not enough Indians, it's, well, it's, well, it's the United States of America. But anyway, uh, the, right? And we all understand that, for the most part, it's us Indians that get things done. It's us workers. The gift of service are those who put their shoulder to the, to the wheel and make things get done. By the way, it, when you start to, do, uh, to take these spiritual gifts tests and you, you pull all the data together and you start to figure out how many of each gift are in most churches, and there'll be two to four evangelists, one to three leaders, 60% the gift of service or helps. Aren't we all glad for that? Because you can only take so much of those big mouth leaders. (laughs) We want people to just get it done. No surprise that often God seems to to saturate the church in that way. So he says, the gift of serving. If it's the gift of teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, there's another one we haven't talked about, encouragement, exhortation. Remember, that's the one that I thought, first time I took a test and it said I had the gift of exhortation. I thought it was exfoliation. I didn't know. I was a junior higher. I wasn't thinking. I just didn't like it. I wanted one like apostle, apostle leader. Like I wanted something that's not impressive. But the gift of encouragement. These are, we think of encouragement as like, oh, okay. But it's so much more than that. It can be a kick in the pants as well as a pat on the back. The exhorters are the ones who motivate us to action. 
who say, why are we sitting here? Let's get to it. What if this happens? Don't we want to miss it? We don't want to miss the opportunity. The gift of exhorters have a way to motivate. They, they, sometimes they do it through counsel, encouragement, consolation. Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. No surprise that when, when that outlaw Saul started telling everybody that he believed in Jesus now, after he'd been killing Christians every time, chance he got, the one guy who, who took a risk and came alongside him was the son of encouragement. All right, so you've made quite a mess here, bud. Let's see what we can do to get this fixed. And he started to coach Saul along. He goes on, if it is the gift of giving, then give generously. Some of you have the gift of giving. You need to know that the gift of giving doesn't mean that you give a lot. After all, if there's one thing Jesus taught us is he measures a lot by what you're giving from. But the gift of giving is often also connected with the ability to, to make or, or, or create wealth. That's true. You see, givers don't just give it away. They know what it takes to make it. And so they, they want it to be used with the greatest effect. Givers give generously. Now, you and I, we can think about somebody giving, like, hey, you can gift me. You know, where are those gold cougarons? You know, bring them, you know. And, and so we so miss the mark. Those who give, give with a sense of purpose. I want to help them through that difficulty. I want to get that church building built. I want to get that thing fixed. I want to get that mission set up. I want to send those things to them. They understand that they can actually leverage finance to get the kingdom done. And they're going to do it passionately. And by the way, if you, if you frivol away what, you've get, what they've given you, they will not give you again. They'll find a more effective place. Giving. They do it because they want God to get the glory. And he says, and if, if it is to lead, if your gift is leadership, then do it diligently. The gift of leadership, it, it's the ability to set and communicate appropriate goals, to motivate others to work together, to fulfill the service to God. People with this gift are usually pretty good at getting others involved in the work and delegating the work. But the gift of leadership. Now, there's so much that we could, we could go through the scriptures and look at all the examples. And, and in fact, there are many pastors who've, who've done a, one entire sermon on each of these gifts. And I thought about that, but then would be in 1 Corinthians in the middle of next year. And, and I thought maybe we should keep moving. Lastly, Ephesians 4. 12s and 4s, right? And he says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, we've talked about apostleship, and prophets, we've talked about prophets, and evangelists. Now, in this passage, he seems to be talking a little bit more about offices where these things are done, not just the gift itself. And there's some discussion about how that works. The bottom line, though, is that here he's talking about evangelists, people who have the ability to be uniquely effective at sharing the gospel with unbelievers. Some of us, this is one of my gifts, I, I love to talk to people. Most of you get scared. It's kind of intimidating to talk to people. I get excited, okay? I can't explain it. It's not like I'm, I'm not, I just, I love to talk to people about what they believe or why they don't believe. Or it, it, it's, it's engaging to me. But part of it, I think, is the gift of evangelism sometimes means you still remember what it felt like to think like a pagan. 
If you have the gift of evangelism, you've been sitting someplace and all of a sudden the thought has occurred to you, that probably sounds weird to people who don't under, haven't believed yet. That's the way the gift of evangelism sometimes works. Sometimes the gift of evangelism is also expressed in training others to be able to get, share their faith or motivating them to do it. It's not that hard. It's really okay. All of us are called to do many of these gifts. We're all, we're all taught to give. We're all taught to pray and have faith. We're all taught to share the gospel. Many of these things apply to all of us, but those with the gift, they show unique effectiveness at getting it done. In a sense, they lead that team. They set the bar for the rest of us in those areas. And then he says, and pastor teachers. And the word is kind of a compound word. It's not teachers and pastors, it's pastor teachers. These are the shepherds. There's a rich, perhaps one of the richest images in all of Scripture is that of the shepherd as the leader. David knew that. The Lord is my shepherd. This image that God, those who lead come as shepherds, not bosses, not CEOs. You never hear from shepherds, uh, sorry, you're fired. That's not the issue. Shepherds bring together. They feed them, protect them, guide them, lead them where they're supposed to go. This shepherd-teacher combination is what most pastors aspire to, to teach and lead God's people. Well, we've, we've made it through the list, and, and time is up. So quickly, let's try to make a couple of applications, because you're going to be frustrated. That's it? Like this whole list? I don't even know where to begin. First of all, let me tell you that I have, I'll have them in the back. I have a pile up here. We have a spiritual gifts test if you would like to take it. We're going to provide it for anybody who wants it. We didn't stick it in the bulletin. You actually have to come and ask one of us for it. I'll be at the door. I'm going to have a pile. If you want one, take it. But I won't even be handing it to you. You have to ask for it because it works best when you want to find out what your gift is. And it's just the beginning. We're going to talk more about that. The issue here is that there's something we should probably talk about before we go, about all these gifts and how they work. We haven't answered any questions. We've raised more questions than we've answered. I want you to notice a few things. First of all, spiritual gifts are not the same as receiving the indwelling spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, the Spirit of God comes and lives in you. That isn't spiritual gifts. That's the Spirit's indwelling. It happens to every believer the moment they believe. You get all of the Spirit at that moment. Okay, so let's make that clear. John, uh, Jesus said this in John 14, that he's going to send the Spirit and he'll be with you forever. Spiritual gifts aren't the same as the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you know this passage. Galatians 5, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are describing character. The gifts of the Spirit are different from the fruit of the Spirit in a couple of ways. First of all, the gifts of the Spirit come from outside. The Spirit gives them to us. The fruit of the Spirit comes from inside us. It kind of grows from within. It's the result of what the Spirit of God does. The gifts of the Spirit are temporary. <gasps> yeah, we're going to see that in, in, in chapter 14. Paul says, look, someday all these gifts are going to end. We'll be with Jesus. They won't be needed. The Spirit himself will be there. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, 
Paul says love is eternal. That stays. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away, Paul says. Without the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts are worthless. We need to get this straight. Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels and I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, by the way, it's kind of interesting if we had time to study his exa the examples of what he says these gifts might look like to the extreme. Like, wow, really interesting. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and I give my body over to hardship that I may boast, I do, and I don't have love, I gain nothing. By the way, there are other gifts that we haven't mentioned. There's, Paul talks about celibacy maybe as a gift, uh, martyrdom as a gift, um, even, even poverty as a gift. There's, there's a list. In the Old Testament, there are people who were gifted for craftsmanship and other abilities. None of that confuses this because what we're talking about is the fact that all of these come from the same spirit for one purpose. Spiritual gifts are not the same as talents. We hear this all the time. Uh, talents are one thing, spiritual gifts are another. I've got to be honest with you, I'm not sure I believe that. And I'll tell you why. Because all too often, when you come to faith and we discover what your spiritual gifts are, there's this unexplicable correlation with your own, the, the, the talents that you've had your whole life. Well, that's completely, you know, a coincidence. I, I don't think so. First of all, I think God knows what's going to happen in your life. He knows what gifts he'll give you when you come to faith, even when you're born. But more than that, I think what happens is that often the Spirit of God charismaticizes your abilities. You see, it's one thing to have an ability. Maybe you're a great salesperson. That's great. But then you come to faith None of us are surprised that you're really good at sharing the gospel because you're good at sharing and sealing the deal. The difference is that you don't do it the same way you did when you were in sales. Now the Spirit of God empowers that ability for a whole different purpose, and we see it at work. Some of you are leaders. You were leaders long before you came to faith. I, I remember as a little kid, you know, I'd show up at something and I'd say, uh, hey, why don't you be in charge? I didn't even know what we were doing. Like, I, I felt most of the time when I would show up at things when I was a kid, I felt like they had a meeting before I got there and nobody told me what was going on. I walked into every meeting like, what, what are we doing? And yet half the time they'd put me in charge. I even asked my parents, why do they always put me in charge? But because you're a leader. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. But then I come to faith and, and then like two weeks after I come to faith, they say, hey, can you, can you run our Bible study? I, what? I don't even, sometimes you've seen that happen in your life. God, the Spirit seems to baptize your talents. So they're not the same as talents. The Spirit takes them over, I believe. You can also get spiritual gifts when you come to faith, that things that you didn't even know were there. I believe that as well. Everybody has at least one. We're going to talk about that next week. Next week, Nick and I are going to team teach. Uh, so that'll be fun. We've never done that before. So you'll want to be here uh, for that. So we need to wrap this up. Yeah, we'll do that next time. I thought this was kind of neat. Everybody knows what the elements, the chart, chart of elements looks like. 
Well, here's a guy that kind of put all the spiritual gifts in a chart. And it's kind of interesting to see them all lined up and even color-coded according to his understanding. Some of the foundational gifts, some of the relative, uh, relevatory gifts, the serving gifts. I thought that was kind of neat. The whole point is there's a lot of different ways we can slice and dice this and categorize them. And categorizing can be helpful. There's a few gifts that we're confused about. Some of you aren't sure if they happen or how it happens. And, and we will talk more about that. But I want to make this point. Most of the gifts that the scriptures talk about, none of, most of them are not questionable. They're not, there's no issues surrounding them. It's not if the gifts or when the gifts are given or when they stop. That, if, if we have that discussion anymore, I'm going to explode. I have, I have thoughts about that, but we're missing the point. It doesn't matter. The Spirit sends the gifts when He wants. He can take them back when He wants. He can use whichever set of gifts He wants whenever He wants. He's in charge. The issue is, do you and I know what to do about it? So the issue for us is an issue, first, of response. Not understanding, not taking the test. Let me see what I've got first. Let me see if I agree. The issue is an issue of response. There are some things that you need to know. There are prerequisites for finding your gift. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you'll never find a spiritual gift until you're born spiritually. You also can't find your spiritual gift if you're not in fellowship with Him. If you're disobeying Him, why would He give you more insight into how He's made you? We have to be walking in fellowship. And thirdly, we have to be willing to use these for the reason they were given. When I was taking that first a spiritual gifts test and I didn't like what I got, I'm, I'm being perfectly honest. I was only interested in the gifts that would make me look better. That was my only interest. And no surprise that God did not give me a lot of insight. These are given so you can bless someone else. How do you discover your gift? We're not going to belabor this, but you can ask God to show you. God, I really want to know. You can become more aware. It starts with a discussion like this. It starts with taking the spiritual gifts test. It starts with looking up some of the passages. All of that can help. You can start to say, hey, I know what I would like to do. I would like to have an impact in this way. As, you read over, as, as we went over the gifts, that's why I put it in the notes. Which ones do you like most? Because some of them you're interested in because you are gifted in that area, and it made your heart leap. You discover your gifts by being active. Start trying to use them. Try something. I promise, if you stink at it, we'll tell you. Okay? But we probably won't have to tell you. You'll know. We all do stuff we don't like. But, but you'll know that maybe this isn't my area of giftedness. No one has ever asked me to do their taxes. Okay? So some things are just clear. Okay? Eventually, you develop some ability and you receive affirmation. You have people say, this, this was the best whatever I've ever seen. This, this was great. This really made a difference in my life. Talking to you really helped. Here's our motto, right? I am most satisfied when others are edified so that God is glorified. We have not, we've raised more questions than we can answer today. But the point is this. How could we respond today? Even as Ben and the team starts to get ready to lead us, 
I want to ask you this question. What is one thing you can do today, right now, to begin to take a step toward what God has in mind for you regarding your gifts? Some of you know what your gifts are. What do you have to do today? What is it? You, you say, well, I, I know what my gifts are, but I, I kind of I stopped doing that, or I got burned out on that. or whatever. Maybe you need to get that straight. Some of you are saying, I don't have a clue what my gifts are, and perhaps... It starts there. Maybe some of you need to start by saying, God, I don't think I have any abilities at all, but if you have given me something, show me. Is it possible? Is it possible that this very church is hobbling down the road, crippled, not accomplishing nearly what God would want? We're kind of full back to the walls. We've got a few more chairs, you know, so we're good. What if God wants us to be three times this size, but instead we're hobbling crippled? You know why we're crippled up? Because some of the parts that he's given don't even know what they're supposed to do. And none of them have to save the world. They just have to do their part. And they do it right alongside somebody else who's doing their part. Paul said to the Corinthians, you know what you guys were like when you were saved. There was nothing respectable, nothing fancy, nothing impressive, but God did a work in you. We cannot go forward if each of us doesn't take a step today. So I'm going to encourage you to take a step today. Maybe you're going to do it in your seat. Talk to God. Maybe you want to come up here. I'm going to sit up here. If you want to come talk, you want to come pray, you want to come sit up front and pray, it's okay to move. You can, you can kneel where you are if you have to. You can stand if you need to. The issue is, what is it that you can do today to take a step? I, I, I guess i got to trust Christ first. Oh, <laughs> Come talk to me. Let's not be, go down the road crippled. What is it that you can do? Let's pray. Oh God, how rich and abundant your provision is. Jesus, all that is ours is because of what you did on the cross. Spirit of God, forgive us for pretending like you're not there when Jesus sent you specifically to work in us and through us, and now you are piercing and tugging at our hearts, and you're saying, take that step, take that step, take that step. Today's the day for most of us. What is it that we can do? Lord, we are listening. Help us to respond. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.